I had the privilege of preaching on this gospel earlier in the week at Episcopal Collegiate School for their convocation. And I begin this sermon with a question. And I had in my mind that I was preaching to older people. I'm used to preaching to a crowd of mostly adults. And so I didn't expect a response. But I was reminded by the children at Episcopal that, in fact, preachers are looking for a response. Um, Because when I asked this question, a sea of kindergarten through fifth graders in front of me all raised their hand to answer. So here's the question. And if you got to hear that sermon on Wednesday, trust me, this one's different. See if you can find the differences. All right, here's the question. Have you ever been lost? Thank you. Yes. Right? When when I started to think about that question, it occurred to me that it had been a long time since I had truly been lost. I mean, we have Apple Maps and Google Maps. They keep me right on course and in route. But there are so many ways to define being lost. Like when you're reading a book and you realize that you've not read the last three chapters, even though your eyes have been moving across the page and you're really lost in the story? Or how about when you're sitting in church, maybe for the first time, and you're wondering what happens next and feeling a little lost? Or perhaps one day you wake up and realize you have no idea what you're doing with your life? Or someone you love has died and you miss them very much? It's no, there's no map for grief or burnout or discernment. This, I think, is where we begin with today's gospel, to meditate and reflect on the experience of being lost. As I thought about the Pharisees and the scribes, it occurred to me that they think that Jesus is lost, that he's hanging out with the wrong group of people. And Jesus responds with stories that invite them to reflect on whether or not they are lost. Now, today's parables are absolutely delightful, and they're kind of a joke or a fable. What shepherd do you know would leave 99 sheep to go find the one? Certainly the 99 are more valuable than the one. And I do know some people who will search their house for a lost coin. But few people throw a party for their lost coin that they just found. These tales are absurd. No one really lives this way. Now, an interesting thing happens. Our reading today ended. But the Jesus keeps going. He has more stories to tell us. Three, in fact. You, you might know at least one of them. The first one we commonly call the prodigal son. We might call it the lost son. The story of a young man who goes to his father and demands his inheritance right now. He goes off and he squanders the whole thing, wakes up, finds himself sleeping with pigs and eating pig's food, and thinks to himself, well, this is the worst idea I ever had. 
I'll go back and grovel from my father because it would be better to be a servant in his home than to live here with these pigs. And he goes home and he falls on his knees and his father rushes over and lifts him up and says, I'm so glad you're home. We're going to have the best party. Welcome, welcome. And there's another brother. And the other brother tries to talk his father out of this lavish forgiveness that he's given his brother. But the father won't back down and instead invites the other brother to join in and rejoice. The next story is called sometimes the parable of the dishonest manager. It's such an interesting story. Now we're going to skip the prodigal son. We heard that in Lent. So trust me that that's how that story goes. But the next two weeks, you can test me. Next week is the dishonest manager. And there's lots of talk about shrewdness and faithful and much and faithful and little. But the story goes like this. The manager is caught stealing from his boss. And he says, I'm going to come back. So you just wait here. And while the boss goes away, the manager calls all the other debtors to him. And he says, I'm forgiving all of your debts. He's effectively continuing to steal from his boss. Now, he's not keeping those profits for himself, but he is building for himself some goodwill amongst his neighbors. And then the third story, you'll hear this in a few weeks, is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Maybe you know this one. Lazarus is very ill, covered in sores, and sleeping at the doorstep of, Lazar of the rich man. And the rich man, in my head, is always stepping over Lazarus because he has everything he needs. And they both die. And Lazarus finds his eternal home with Abraham, and the rich man finds his eternal home in Hades. Now that story makes me uncomfortable. Anytime we talk about Hades, I get a little insecure, and I'm a priest of the church, so I don't know what that means. But the story is this interesting question about how our lives are connected to our eternal homes. Now, in some ways, those first two parables are, like the original two, a bit absurd. I mean, who throws a party for their son who squandered their entire inheritance? Or who, after being caught stealing, steals more? But it is the third story, rich, the rich man and Lazarus, that calls the question for me. Does the way we live really matter? How do our actions reflect the eternal outcome of our lives? Who, in fact, is really lost? Remember, Jesus is responding to the Pharisees and the scribes and their judgment of others. And so these are not stories for the sake of telling stories. Jesus is trying to teach us about the nature and character of God and God's kingdom. Look for a moment at how these stories turn the world upside down or establish some kind of reversal. One sheep is worth the risk of those 99. The lost coin deserves a lavish party. And those are just like a taste test, a little appetizer for the stories that are coming. Jesus raises the stakes. Now a son is lost. A father forgives. And a brother is invited to join the party. And the reversals keep going. 
The hero of the story is a manager who steals from his boss, not the boss who punishes the dishonest manager. And what about poor, wretched Lazarus prospering in death versus the rich man who prospered in life? It is as if the kingdom of God is not concerned with who is a tax collector or a sinner. It's as if the categories of what matters to God are different. Now, the challenge to a preacher is to come up with some kind of one-liner that you can carry with you. I don't have one of those today. But I have some thoughts. Here we go. Maybe, maybe, God values the one as much as the other 99. And maybe each one of the 100 matters. And also, maybe the whole matters not individuals or pieces or parts. Maybe mercy and faithfulness matter the most. Scripture tells the tale of God's forgiveness and this unimaginable abundance of grace. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that I do not know or understand about God. But I do believe that as we try to follow Jesus every little step, we discover more and more of God's work in the world and in our lives. These stories are teaching us about paying attention to mercy and grace and relationships. Now, it is unusual for me to work on a sermon very far in advance. But like I said, I preached on this text on Wednesday, which means I started thinking about this gospel last Wednesday. That's unusual. But as I listened last Sunday to the reading of the gospel, I had a bit of epiphany. Last week, Jesus told the crowd that every disciple must carry their own cross. The implication is that discipleship is not cheap. And Jesus encourages the crowd to consider the cost of their discipleship. And I began to wonder how these parables relate to the cost of discipleship. What does the joy of the shepherd or the woman cost them? What does the one brother lose when his brother is forgiven? What would it cost the rich man to attend to Lazarus? What do forgiveness and mercy cost us? Or vice versa, what is the cost of our judgments and grudges? So perhaps we are the lost coin or sheep, and it is God who finds us and rejoices over us. Maybe it is better to be lost and found than never lost at all. Maybe we're living recklessly, wondering if we can ever go home. Or maybe we are anxiously waiting for the one 
we lost to come home. Maybe what matters most is that we offer and receive grace after grace after grace after grace. Maybe what matters is not the cost, the cost of forgiveness and mercy, but forgiveness and mercy themselves in our lives and for our neighbors. Maybe what matters most is discovering that no matter how lost or secure we feel, we are never too far from God.